been talking about the book of Daniel this week, but I want to mention to you that this hour right now while we are in church, 13 Christians, 13 of our brothers and sisters in the world are being murdered because of Jesus during this hour. Pew Research Center tells us that 322 Christians per day are martyred because of what they have in their hearts. 322 of our brothers and sisters dying every day. You multiply that out and you'll see how many are dying in a week or a month or a year. The scholars tell us that there will be more martyrs for Christ in this century than in all preceding 20 centuries. I don't know if that impacts you here, but it impacts me. Our prayers are usually pretty, pretty wimpy when it comes to asking God to strengthen our brothers and sisters who go through such terrible trials. If you've watched TV recently, you've seen 19 Christians beheaded down by the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, It's happening all over the world. It's happening over and over again. The uh, university called Gordon-Conwell in Boston in January of 2011, that's six years out of date, but they say that the church is growing at a rate faster than ever before in history in the world today. 80,000 people per hour are becoming Christians in the world today. Two million people a day becoming Christians. The church is exploding with growth around the world. Now, that, those statistics are six years out of date. It's probably going faster than that now. It's exploding. There are needs for Bibles everywhere. There are over 6,800 known languages in the world. And a little over 1,500 of them have the entire Bible. Missionaries are working on many others. There are thousands of tribes and other groups that are receiving the word in their own language. But can you imagine being a Christian in the world and knowing no Bible and having no Christian friend? It's happening. We have three videos that are about 20 minutes each of people who met the Lord in dreams and in visions. My wife and I have been praying for over 30 years that God would go where we can't and reveal Jesus to people in dreams and visions. And it's happening. One missionary said that he just goes from person to person in Turkey or in Syria and asks, have you met a man dressed in white in a dream? And he says about one out of every 20 person 
that he talks to has met Jesus in a dream. And most of the time he shows up in white clothing and he says, come and follow me. There was one man in the middle of Turkey who had never met a Christian, never seen a Bible, who was nominally Muslim, who received a vision from God and believed in Jesus for more than two years before one day he heard on the radio where he could order a Bible for free. And he ordered the Bible. And when he got it, he read it from Genesis through Revelation without sleep. And then he led his wife to Jesus. And then he led his family to Jesus. He had been a drunk. He had been abusive of his wife. You know, many Muslims are abusive of of women. But God changed his heart. And he, he met him in a dream. God is revealing himself throughout the world. There's a, a scripture in the book of Romans that says, God is not without a witness anywhere in the world. He shows himself to people. Now, I mention all this to you because we're looking at the book of Daniel. Daniel's mission is a worldwide mission back in the 6th century B.C. Daniel knew God. Daniel had, as far as, like uh, Don said a minute ago, there's nothing known that's wrong in Daniel or in Joseph, who was in Egypt, also interpreting dreams and, and being second in command in the kingdom the way Daniel was here in Babylon. Now let me tell you a little about the book of Daniel. Daniel had a worldwide mission, just like we do. I want to ask you folks, if you would take time every day to pray at least once that God would reveal himself in dreams and visions to people throughout the world who need to know him. We prayed for the terrorists to get dreams and visions. And we got word from Voice of the Martyrs that some of the leaders of Boko Haram who had kidnapped all those girls and forced married them and so on, that some of those leaders of Boko Haram had become Christians. It's happening around the world. Terrorists being transformed, just like the Apostle Paul, who was Saul of Tarsus, breathing out threatening and slaughter against the church. God turned him around. God's doing this to many others. When Mark Worley got back from India, he said there was a man there whose name was Thomas, who was a murderer of Christians, who had God revealed to him in a dream. And he came and learned from the Christians and became a missionary to India, to his own language group, and led many people to Christ. Here, God takes people today and does the same thing with them that he did back then. Now, if you've read Daniel, if you know the history of what happened back there, you know that Daniel was a young man in Jerusalem, probably in his teen years. He was of the nobility. He was a high-level person. 
And when Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, the greatest general of the 6th century B.C., raised an army, in 612 he conquered Nineveh. And Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, so he conquered Assyria. And then he moved through the whole world and spread his culture and his language all over the world. And he conquered the city of Jerusalem. The first time he came was in 606 B.C. As Don corrected me this morning, he's right. It's good to have a guy like that around to keep me straightened out. My wife straightens me out some too. But uh, in 606 B.C., the first deportation, that's when Nebuchadnezzar first came and broke down the wall of Jerusalem and entered the city and took the best of the young men with him. He deposed Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and put Zedekiah in his place. Zedekiah the king was the last king of Jerusalem before the exile into Babylon. But when Daniel and Ezekiel and other young men were taken out, they were the best people. Zechariah describes it this way. Uh, Not Zechariah, I'm sorry. Ezekiel describes it this way. He says there were two baskets of figs. One was a bunch of rotten figs, and the other was a bunch of good figs. And the good figs went to Babylon. That's how he describes it. Daniel and these young men were good men taken out from Jerusalem. And the street people and the others he left behind. That was in 606 B.C. Zechariah, or um, the, the king, Zechariah decided he was not going to pay the tribute to Nebuchadnezzar. And so Nebuchadnezzar came back with his army a second time in 597 B.C., broke the wall down again, took Zechariah, his family, outside the city, killed all his family in front of his eyes, including his wife, and then gouged out his eyes. And so Zechariah was taken blind to Babylon. The last sight he saw was the death of his family. The persecution is nothing new. But he was persecuted because he rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar put a new governor in place in Jerusalem. This governor's name was Gedaliah. And Gedaliah governed Jerusalem. Jeremiah is the prophet in Jerusalem during this time. There are three prophets during the exile. Jeremiah in Jerusalem, Ezekiel and Daniel in Babylon, so that the people will know that God is in charge of history even in Babylon. I want you to think about this. Gedaliah was governing. Everything was fine until a man named Ishmael and some others came to Jeremiah and said, we want to assassinate Gedaliah, Nebuchadnezzar's governor. What do you think of that? And Jeremiah said, if you do that, Nebuchadnezzar will come here and destroy this place, and he will flay you alive. Now, flay means to tie somebody to a stake, cut their skin open all the way down, and rip their skin off their quivering flesh while they're still alive. That's what he, he warned them. This is what's going to happen to you if you do that. And they said, we don't believe you. 
So they went and killed Gedaliah. And then they heard Nebuchadnezzar was coming to Jerusalem a third time. And they took Jeremiah and forced him to go with them as they flew, uh, ran to Egypt. They fled to Egypt. And according to the rabbinic story that tells about the end of Jeremiah's life, here's a guy, God told him, don't get married, because if you do, your wife and children will die in uh, Nebuchadnezzar's sack of the city. He told him, uh, buy property so the people will know you will be coming back, but the property is going to be a total loss to you because the, the city will be taken away. So anyway, Jeremiah is taken by these evil men down to Egypt, and there they worshipped an idol, and Jeremiah preached against them, and they stoned him to death in Egypt. Now here's the life of a man who lived 50 years, did the best he could, was never married, had no children, uh, was faithful to God all the way through, and his life ends being stoned to death in a foreign land. But when Nebuchadnezzar came to Babylon, to Jerusalem this time, he left most of his army in Jer- at Jerusalem. They broke down the wall again, and this time, instead of taking people captive, he killed them or burned them, and he took oxen and plows and plowed up the city of Jerusalem like a farmer's field. He plowed up the streets. He plowed up the buildings. He completely destroyed the city. In fact, 70 years later, when they came back from Babylon to Jerusalem, they couldn't find the city of Jerusalem. They said it looked like a forest on a hill until they began looking in the valleys and found the ruins down in the valleys. That's the only way they knew how to build the city when they came back. He had plowed the streets up. Now, this was predicted by Micah the prophet more than a hundred years before. Micah, who was taught by Isaiah. Micah said, Jerusalem will be plowed up like a farmer's field. And that saved Jeremiah's life once when they were going to kill him. And one of the princes remembered that Micah had said Jerusalem will be destroyed. So here is Daniel taken out, the city totally obliterated, gone. Daniel goes to Babylon, learns the wisdom of Babylon, just like Joseph back in Genesis learned the wisdom of Egypt. I want you to think with me for a minute. How much do you pray? How much time do you spend in prayer? I will admit to you that I am very weak in that area. I know I don't spend enough time in prayer. I remember going to hear Paul Cho speak. You know who that is? He's the head of the largest church in the world in South Korea. Paul Cho's church runs around 300,000 people. They meet in several different places. And somebody asked him, how much time do you spend in prayer? And he said, at four in the morning, I'm on my knees, and I get up at eight in the morning. 
And I was sitting by Denny Slaughter, our minister at the church, and he leaned over to me and said, I thought my half hour was good. I said, compared to me, it is. I don't pray enough. There's a sense in which you pray all the time. Paul says, pray without ceasing. You know, always in the back of your mind, there's God and there's a conversation going on. But how often do you pray and how much do you pray? Do you pray for Christians around the world? Do you pray for the brothers and sisters who are being martyred? And my wife and I pray that their witness will be powerful, so powerful, that the people who are tormenting them, the people who are persecuting them, will be converted by their witness. How much time do we spend in prayer? I read Daniel chapter 9. I recommend that you read that, 9 and 10. In Daniel chapter 9, Daniel prays a prayer that lasts about three and a half minutes. At least I can read it in about three and a half minutes. He prays this prayer asking a question of God, hoping that God will send an angel to tell him the answer. At the end of three and a half minutes of prayer, here's the angel Gabriel. And the angel Gabriel explains what Daniel wants to know. And Daniel's really excited by that. And then in the tenth chapter of Daniel, Daniel has another question. And he begins to pray, and he prays that God will send an angel to answer his question. He prays and fasts and does not eat. He does not wash. He is lying on his face in prayer for 21 days. He fasts and prays. I read a book by Arthur Wallace entitled God's Chosen Fast in which Arthur Wallace keeps a record of his own commitment to fast and pray for 21 days. He talks about how hungry he felt, how weak he felt on the fourth day. By the fifth day, he said he no longer felt hungry. This is something that the American church has lost. We pray some, but almost nobody fasts. But Jesus doesn't say if you fast. In the Sermon on the Mount, He says when you pray and when you fast. He says when I am taken away from My disciples, they will fast. Fasting is part of what we need to do. Fasting cleanses the body. It purifies the mind. If you fast for a while, you'll notice your eyesight becomes sharper. If you fast more than four days, you will no longer be hungry. The Scripture says Jesus fasted 40 days and afterwards was hungry. When you become hungry the second time after a long fast, you need to eat. Because when you become hungry the second time, it's your muscle tissue breaking down, including the heart and lungs and so on, and not the fat tissue. So Jesus needed to eat, and that's when, of course, Satan came and tried to get him to do some things that were unacceptable. 
And the amazing thing about this is that we don't, in our American churches, we get together and have big meals all the time, don't we? We almost never get together and pray and fast. But this is what the early church did, especially if they had a major thing they wanted to do. When Paul and Silas were set out on their first missionary journey, the church in Antioch prayed and fasted and laid hands on them and sent them out. Sometimes I think our churches, you know, you can't command somebody to fast, but you can say what Jesus said, when you fast, when you fast, do it privately. Don't tell anyone. Well, Arthur Wallace did it privately for 21 days. He said on the seventh day, he fixed breakfast for his family. Biscuits, gravy, eggs, bacon, sausage, you know, all the incredible smells and tastes that everybody loves. He said he wasn't even tempted because he just wasn't hungry. He went ahead and fixed them breakfast, and then he went back to his study to pray. And he keeps a record of every day of that fast, God's Chosen Fast by Arthur Wallace. I recommend it to you. If, if the American church would once again learn to pray and fast, why do we do that? To hunger and thirst for God, for righteousness. This is what Jesus commands. So here's Daniel praying and fasting for 21 days. And finally, the angel came to him in swift flight, he says. And the angel tells him, and you read the first part of the story there, what the angel says, get on your feet and listen to me. And Daniel said, I stood up trembling, probably because of the fear of the angel, but also of hunger. And the angel said to Daniel, when you began your prayer, I was dispatched to come to you. But I was withstood by the prince of Persia. And I had to wait for the archangel Michael to come and free me from him. And now I've come to you. But when I leave you, I must return and fight with Michael against the prince of Persia and his minions. This is the clearest insight into spiritual warfare that happens in real prayer and real fasting that we just don't see today. What would happen if the church would pray and fast for those who are being martyred every day? Church is growing at a rate faster than ever before in history. And persecution right along with it. At first I thought Harold had put this water up here in case we had a baptism. But I think it's for my throat. I don't think that works for baptism in this church anyway. But <laughs> I'll sprinkle some on you. But I hope that you will consider your prayer life that you will recognize that prayer and fasting work together. And if you focus on God, <clears throat> when I fast and I start thinking about cheeseburgers, you know, or something like that, which is what happens, I'm not fasting anymore. I'm starving myself. I need to stop thinking about that and focus on God and on His righteousness. 
Jesus says if we seek Him and His kingdom, His reign in our lives first, everything else will be taken care of. So don't think about food. Think about Him and how hungry you are for Him. Psalm 42. As the deer pants for the brooks of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. We need to focus on Him. And even if it takes 21 days to get the answer to our question, God will take care of us. And He will provide. Seek Him. Put Him first. This is what Daniel did through his whole life. The end of the book of Daniel is wonderful. God tells him some amazing things at the end. You know what the first thing he says is? Knowledge will greatly increase. What's happening today on the Internet? Knowledge is doubling every two and a half years. Recorded knowledge is doubling every four years. Doubling. That means adding a hundred sets of Britannica in a year to the Internet, to man's knowledge. Nothing will be kept from us. It's, it's almost like the Tower of Babel. It's almost like we can do anything now that we have this access to this incredible knowledge. You know, when I want to know something, I don't go look up encyclopedias or find dictionary. I just click online, and there it is. You have instant, almost instant gratification of anything you want. I think it was some ad that said instant gettification, where you just get whatever you want. You know, we have a tremendous insight into this into knowledge today. We also have a lot of garbage that's out there. You know, focus on what God wants you to focus on. Yeah, you know, I want to thank Corey, I mean Jeff, and uh, <coughs> or Mark, or whatever your name is. Uh, great song, Jeff. Thank you. Great song. Uh, and, uh, and Tina Marie, it's fun to to listen to you play the drums and sing along with it. Uh, who's the lady that plays the organ? Tremendous. Uh, I mean, the keyboard, I should say. Tremendous. Uh, great music you all have. You have a great blessing in this church. You have good leaders. Uh, you have a resident scholar here. Uh, on top of that, you got Harold. <laughs> no, seriously, I'd like to say that Harold was one of the best students I ever had. That's what I'd like to say. Uh, Harold, Harold's, Harold's a great student, and Cindy, too. I had both of them. I mean, I even had Mark Worley in class. I had, you know, 46 years in the same place. I've taught just about everybody, I think. Any of you in my class? Well, anyway... It's a great opportunity, and I really appreciate the opportunity to be here, but I want you to consider how much time you spend in prayer and how often do you pray for your brothers and sisters. The book of Hebrews says, Pray for them who undergo persecution as though you were with them. 
brothers and sisters, if we were with them, we would be praying our hearts out for them. These are husbands and wives and sons and daughters and brothers and sisters. And they're dying by the thousands simply because of what's in their hearts. Jesus says, the world hated me first, so it'll hate you too. Consider prayer and fasting. Consider the book of Daniel, chapter 9 and 10. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the great experience of being in this church, for the great music, for the passion of the leaders. Thank you for Harold and Cindy. I pray that you will bless all their ministry, everything they set their hands to, that you'll heal them and protect them from evil, that you'll lift up the leaders of this place and bring glory to yourself through their lives and through their ministries. I pray, Father, that each one of us will reconsider our relationship with you our times of prayer and fasting that we will commit to serving you with our whole hearts that we will commit to pray for our brothers and sisters who undergo persecution around the world Father give them a powerful witness and give them comfort And I pray for those who are the persecutors, Father, that you will send dreams and visions to them that they cannot ignore. I pray for Kim Jong-un, that you'll send him dreams and visions. Uh, What a terrible, dark place to live. I pray that you'll change his heart. Father, be with our leaders. Be with Donald Trump in his travels. I pray, Father, that you'll surround him with good men, good people who love you, and that our nation will pray for Donald Trump and that we will repent of our sins of the past, turn away from them, and turn back to you as a nation. We, we ask you to send your Holy Spirit to bring revival on this nation. I pray that you will reveal your wisdom to our leaders. That you'll break through any arrogance or pride or narcissism that's there. And teach them wisdom. Father, we ask the same for ourselves. We need you desperately. We thank you that you have forgiven the sins of the world, that Jesus took away the the sins of the world, that you were in Christ reconciling the world to yourself, that you sent Jesus as the forgiveness for all sin 
not just ours, but for the sins of the whole world. Help us to spread that good news to our neighbors, to tell them they've been forgiven. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.